We're going to get into something today that I'm actually really excited about. I've been the Lord's been showing this to me, and um, it's going to become something that when we get further into uh, some stuff in the near future, it's going to come back again. So I'm actually going to introduce this to you today, and then this is going to be a part of something, some teaching we're going to do later on, probably sometime next year. Uh, but it's just I believe that this is really going to help you today and it's really going to show you how God thinks. We've been doing a lot of studying and a lot of teaching on how does God see things, how does God think. And when you do that, it's very obvious that God does not think the way we do. He doesn't see things like we do. And if we don't get on the same page with that, we can become increasingly frustrated and in a lot of ways uh, it can lead to a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, disillusion if you want to say it like that because ultimately his ways are above our ways his thoughts are above our thoughts we said this a couple weeks ago one of my wife and I were on that ultimately that that to the natural mind the things of the spirit are foolish and so God sees things God God is looking God is working in your life in ways that you may not be able to comprehend if you're looking at them through a worldview or even a societal view or a current uh, current state of affairs in your life, you're not going to be able to see it. So we've been talking about in the series I've been doing on YouTube, we've been talking about seeing church through the eyes of God. And, and we're going to kind of take that same kind of concept today, even though we're not going to talk about the church. We're really going to talk about your personal journey with Jesus Christ. And we're going to, we're going to talk about how God looks at your your growth your your story the 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 arc of your journey and um to see how god sees it and if you can kind of get on the same page with god it will help you not only embrace where you are but be confident in where you're going even though you may not see where you're going but what we're going to talk about today uh to be frank with you it's not for everybody in fact if you're just a casual follower of Jesus Christ, if you're somebody who, who, who's just maybe trying to fit God into your life at your convenience, you're more than likely not going to get anything out of today. You're probably going to be bored. More than likely, you're going to turn me off. And that's okay. Today really is for those who are really desiring to be committed to the process of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't want to be a follower. You don't want to be a fan but you want to be a disciple. And that is not everybody. And I don't mean that to be judging, but it's very obvious if you go study the Gospels, not everybody that followed Jesus became a disciple of Jesus Christ because there's a separation that has to take place. It's a different level. It's more than just a commitment to a day, but it's a commitment to a lifestyle. It's a commitment to a, a mindset. It's commitment, body, soul, and spirit. And so today we're really going to talk to those who are desiring to be disciples, not saying where you are in that discipleship process. Some may be farther along. But if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to really take in what we're saying today or what God's saying today, because ultimately I believe it's going to help you get in rhythm and in, in cadence with God working in your life. So I wanted to make sure you understood that sort of a pre-disclaimer this morning for those of you that are watching. And, um, you know, you may need some, you may need ministry in your life and you might be going through some difficulty in your life. I think if you listen today, you're going to understand a little more of what God's doing with those situations. But uh, if you're just a casual observer of Jesus Christ, or again, like I said, 
Maybe you're of someone who you know you're you've got one foot in, one foot out, you're waiting in the water. You probably aren't really going to get much out of today. But if you're a, desi- a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're desiring to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then I believe ultimately God is going to speak to you today. Let's start with some scripture if we can. And um, several uh, months ago now, it's November now. So, uh, oh, by the way, I hope everyone enjoyed your extra hour of sleep today. Hope that kept you refreshed today. But uh, back in the summer, I did a series called uh, The Gospel of Mark. Um, and we went through Mark. We only made about halfway through um, because we got so sort of deep and deep into it. We might be able to come back later and finish that because there was so much left to unpack there in Mark. But it really was awesome because for me, teaching it, it made me go back through Mark and really just dig into it again with fresh eyes. And there was so much there with Mark that we didn't even get to, to cover in the series we did in the summer. And I had just kind of put it on the back burner and put it to the side and wanted to come back later and just study it and see what was that, what else was there that the Lord was going to share with me. And so little by little, if you've noticed over the last month or so, there's been a lot of references and things, even in the teaching we did uh, in the um, the last part of seeing church through the eyes of God, uh, part four, we used the story out of Mark chapter seven, because there's so much in the first half of Mark that's so applicable to us today, and especially for those of us uh, that are part of Antioch West. But uh, Mark is a very fast-paced gospel. We talked about that. It's, I mean, it just sort of zips through. And um, um, I want to share with you the very beginning of Mark and Mark's baptism. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark's mess, uh, 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 gospel starts with uh, the baptism of John the Baptist and then the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then we have the, um, the, the, uh, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness with Satan. Now, Mark doesn't go into all the temptation. He doesn't break it down quite like the other gospels do. He just mentions that after Jesus' baptism, he's kind of thrust out into the wilderness. And then when Jesus returns, again, he's returning after 40 days of prayer and fasting. He's been tempted by Satan three times. I mean, this was a pretty monumental uh, event. He he steps back onto the scene and Mark says to us in verse number 14, now after John was put in prison, again this is Mark chapter 1 verse 14, then after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, now this is Jesus's, according to Mark, again, uh, other gospels give us a little taste, but a Mark's gospel, Jesus's opening statement, his thesis if you want to call it that, his his initial moment of teaching. This is what he's going to his his first words. He's going to speak recorded by Mark as Mark gives it to us. The first words that Mark records that Jesus speaks in a teaching manner. He speaks this saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Now. If you read that at first glance, it doesn't seem like there is much to that. It doesn't seem like there's a great amount to unpack, okay? It says the, you know, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, let's move on. And I have done that for years, but went back through and began to kind of look at this in a deeper way because there's a, there's, and I don't want to get too technical into this because obviously 
that's not the point of today, but there is a theological concept when you're studying uh, hermeneutics and when you're studying sort of the, uh, the, the, the breakdown of scripture, there is a theological concept that is called the law of first mention. And what that means is simply this, pay attention the first time something is said or the first words, the first and the last words of on a subject or the first and the last words of somebody spoken are of great importance. And, uh, and so these are the first words of Jesus Christ in Mark that's recorded in this sort of teaching vein. And so this is, this is significant. Because again, you say, well, that's Mark's take on it. Matthew and Luke and John, they have other, they have other, other words. Okay, fine. But for Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, why did he start with this? Because it seems like sort of a, uh, sort of a benign state. It just seems sort of docile. It's sort of a, 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 a simple statement. Okay, great. The kingdom of, uh, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Okay, let's move on. Something juicier. Give me something greater. But here's the thing. Jesus was coming to make disciples. You say, well, that's not true. He said he was coming to make to save the world. He was coming to be the sacrifice to save the world. But in the process of saving the world, the vehicle he used was discipleship. That's why this term is not just a buzzword, even though somehow it seems like it's the new buzzword in Christianity, being a disciple. Uh, you've got to understand really the significance of that word. It's not a catchphrase. It's not just something that people say, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you really know what that means? Now, this is not the time and the place to go through defining that. We're going to do that. We've done that in the past, and we're going to do that continually here because I believe that's the passion and direction God's giving us at Antioch West is to make and be disciples. But in the end, we have to understand that Jesus was not coming to just be this, uh, this, this voice who speaks and just kind of throws this huge blanket over everybody. He came really to seek and to save that which was lost, but to also make disciples. And so in this statement he's giving us here, there's something that's, that he's saying that at first glance, you don't see it. But if you dig a little deeper into it, you'll see that he's actually speaking something quite profound. Because you and I today are bound by this idea of time. In fact, today, our whole entire uh, day was adjusted by one hour because of the fact that our time fell back one hour. Think about that. Today, just with one simple piece of legislation that's been passed by our government, everything in our area adjusted one hour back. It, you know, you know, it's when you get up in the morning and your clock when your microwave is one time and then the clock over there is the other time. You're like, ooh, which one's right? Which one's right? And then you realize the microwave didn't change. You had to go over there. And we did that this morning. The microwave and the stove, both of those in the oven, they had to be changed, right? So you make sure that they match up with the right time because obviously time is huge. If you're, if you're looking at the time and you didn't realize it's been changed, you're going to show up an hour earlier to where you need to be today. You could have got on here at 9 o'clock going, okay, where's the live stream? It's 10 o'clock, not realizing it's only 9 o'clock. And we're bound by time. Tomorrow, you know when you're supposed to be at work. You know when you're going to get off. You know when school starts. You know when your next class is. You know when 
um, certain events are going to start. We don't really usually base events off of uh, of of just a, an arbitrary um, arbitrary time. Well, you don't say, "Well, going to have a birthday party when?" Well, you know, sometime in the next few weekends. Okay, what weekend? Well, not really sure. Okay, do you know what time it's going to start? Well, it's going to start whenever. We don't do that, right? We're going to have it on November the 13th, uh, Saturday, November the 13th. It's going to start at 6. It's going to go to 9. We're bound by this idea of time. We base everything we do off time. We want to know when things are going to start. When's my favorite show on? When do I need it here? When's my next doctor's appointment? What time is it, right? What time is it? How often do you do you find yourself, maybe you're not like this, how often do you find yourself looking at your watch or looking at your phone just seeing what time is it? What time is it? And you know what? It's funny. Even our own bodily systems become sort of in sync with our time. And so we start getting hungry in the morning and we know about what time it is. We have a, we have a, a, a dog and it's amazing. We feed him the same time every day. And you don't need to know what time it is to know it's time for him to, to eat almost to the minute when it's time for him to eat. He'll let you know. He'll start barking. He'll start, he'll start talking. He'll start yakking because ultimately he knows it's time to eat. Time. And we'll look and we'll go, okay, usually it's like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Time to eat. Time to have breakfast. We know this, right? So this idea of time is something that really sort of encompasses us in our world. It, it, it dictates everything. It literally drives everything we do. It drives our thinking. It drives our function. It's all about time. But here's the problem. In our language, in the English language, you use the word time sort of to mean a multiplicity of things. It's time as far as wristwatch time or it's the most wonderful time of year, right? We're going to sing that in the next month or so. It's the most wonderful time of year. We're not talking about it's 3 o'clock on a Tuesday, and therefore it's the most wonderful time of year. We're talking about Christmas time. And we understand that Christmas time, in that sin point, time does not represent a moment, but represents a season, right? It's that wonderful time of year. It's Chris, It's springtime. It's summertime. We got the summertime blues. We got the springtime. We've got these ideas that that time represents something greater. But in the Greek language, time is a lot more precise in the words that are used. There's not one word for time, there's actually two words that are mostly translated into time. And the first one is chronos, K-C-H-R-O-N-O-S, chronos. And that's where we get the wristwatch time, the time of day. And therefore, that's the, the root word for chronological time, right? It's sequential time. It's one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, and so on. That's chronos. That's chronological time. And that's the time that mostly deals with us. But there's this other word used for time. And this is the time. This is the word kiros. K-A-I-R-O-S. And here's the thing. Kiros can mean an event or an opportunity. A moment in time when everything changes we often say it's the right time. It's the wrong time. When we're using that time, we're talking about this Kiros moment. 
And God is speaking to us and usually speaks to us in Kiros moments and thinks about our life in Kiros moments. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But if we go back to our opening scripture here and we read this and it says that time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. What time is he talking about there? He's not talking about it's, you know, it's one o'clock on a Thursday. The time has come. He's talking about the fact that Kiros has come, that this season, this time has come. Now, usually for us as individuals, now we just talked about Israel, Christmas time, springtime, summertime, those are sort of seasons. But for us, these Kiros times for us personally are usually tied to events or circumstances. Now, these circumstances or events can be both positive and negative. For example, you remember the day you were married. How about the birth of your first child? Think about that favorite vacation that you took. These are all Kiros, uh, Kiros moments that we cherish every minute. It's not just, you know, yeah, I was, I was married on, at 1 o'clock. Um, I think we started at 1. Where's my wife to help me here? Uh, we were at 1 o'clock on May the 21st, 4th, uh, 2003. That was the Kronos time, but we were married on May the 24th. It was more of a Kiros moment. It was bigger than just the, the, the time of day. It was the moment. I remember that. I remember the birth of all three of my children. It's this impactful thing. So there's these positive Kiros events that impact your life. And on the other side, there's also these negative Kiros events. And I, now follow with me for a moment here because I know it's a little technical, but we're going to get into the, the, the practicality of this in just a moment. There's negative Kiros events. You know, the death of a loved one, a divorce, uh, you know, a, a, an argument with your your with your loved one, uh, with, with your spouse, uh, or even, for example, the horrific events of history. Like, you know, where were you at 9-11? Now, 9-11 seems like a Kronos moment, but really 9-11 in our memory is a Kiros moment. It's a Kiros event. It's, a, it's an event that, that represents something of significance. It's an event. We don't look at 9-11 as the date, 9-11. We look at it as the moment, the impactful moment that it was. And so how do I recognize a Kiros moment? Kiros is really moments that leave an impact on our life. For example, look at your look look at last week. Just go back a week ago. What were you doing at um, 2.30 last Wednesday? You'd have to think for a minute. Okay, what was I doing at 2.30 last Wednesday? Okay, I was at work uh, and I was going to... You've you got to think through it for a moment because that kind of memory is only tied to a Kronos moment. It doesn't stick out. But if I go back to you last week and I say, hey, tell me what you did last week. You're going to recount to me, first of all, the big ones. You're going to start at the top with any Kiros moments. Maybe last week you, you got a, 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 a promotion. Maybe last week you had something happen. Maybe last week you lost your job. Maybe last week you, had a, you, had a, you went out on, 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 for, for a wonderful evening with friends or family. Maybe you had, you, you, you had an event take place in your life. That was a major, you're going to start there. You're not going to tie it specifically. Again, this is big to understand. And here's the point. 
Why is this big? Why is this important to us as disciples? What does this have to do with disciples? It's this. Kiros events signal opportunities for us to grow. God's all about us growing. God's all about us changing. He's all about us growing in him. And so these Kiros events are the things that he uses in our life to cause and to allow growth. Maybe you're experiencing a Kiros moment right now. Maybe you're living in a Kiros moment. We have some that are living physically with some stuff going on. You're experiencing a physical, a health Kiros moment. For example, the Bible is giving us some very specific keys here to understanding the difference in this. And we're, we're really, we're going to dig into this for a moment. Because Jesus is giving us sort of this pattern by which we're going to get into later on. He follows through. And that is the Kiros has come. This moment has come. What do you do when you get into a Kiros moment? You understand that in Kiros moments, that's when God really starts to draw near to you. You you very rarely ever feel closer to God than when you're going through deep, dark Kiros moments. Right? Those deep, dark struggles of your life, those defining moments of hurt, those defining moments of pain, those defining moments of difficulty, those real deep Kiros moments, those are the times when God feels the closest. Why is that the case? He tells us right here. The Kiros has come. The kingdom of God is near. In this Kiros moment, we're coming to a place of of closeness to God. So what do we do? Ultimately, he gives us a pattern, and we're going to get into this in just a moment. He gives us a pattern to repent and believe. Now, we're going to get into understanding what a Kiros moment is and what we do about it, and what that does to us as disciples. But just for a moment, let's just do this for argument's sake. We have a tendency in our uh, analytical mind and our current Western thinking, we think of life and our journey with God very much like a linear progression. We have salvation when we come to God and we have sort of this progressive straight line that we're on that just takes us to heaven and we kind of judge ourselves based off where we are on this line. And so, you know, this today, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm half, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of far away from salvation, but I'm not quite to heaven. And so therefore I'm progressing forward in my life. And this is how we think of it, right? And so we want to look at everything as sort of this linear progression from salvation to heaven. And we're going on this line and this way of thinking. But, but again, we've talked about this before. Brother Trombley has shared this with before. We're going to get into this in a little deeper way. God doesn't see it that way. In fact, if you really read the scripture, you'll find that living a discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ is a lot more dynamic. Instead of this straight linear path that we're on that sort of indicates there is a constant progression. And the problem with is, if we go back to it for a second, this line really fits with sort of our Kronos ideology. And this line really represents sort of this idea that uh, we're, we're walking with a purpose in mind. But it's more of a straight 
sort of linear path and we're walking in this sort of direction that uh, we think is best. And therefore, we judge things based off time. How many of you would say to me, you know, I thought I'd be farther along today than I am? I don't know if I've ever met someone when you ask them where they are in God, they always say, you know what, I'm so far beyond where I thought I was going to be. We all feel like we're shorter. We're always like, you know, I, I felt like I'd be, I feel like I'd be here. I feel like I'd be all the way here, but yet I'm only here. I'm only here, and I, I thought I'd be farther along than I am. Because we look at this thing as a chronos, but really, let me suggest to you a different picture that speaks to a greater idea, and is this. Here we are walking along, and all of a sudden, all of the blue, we have this Kiros moment. This sort of smack right in our face, stop us cold in our track moment. Now, when you face this, I'm going to leave this image up on the screen for a moment. When you face this moment, you can react in several different ways. You can keep walking, sort of ignoring the moment, or just sort of enduring the moment, or... You can stop, you can go backwards, or you can sort of embrace the moment as sort of Jesus is extending this opportunity of growth and where he's going to show you some things in this curious moment. And so usually in our life, to be honest with you, for most of us when we experience curious moments, we uh, we often study all the events that led up to the moment, right? Because we're trying to figure out or hope to prevent similar things from happening again. But the problem with this is when we do this, we're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Instead of looking backwards at how we got here, we need to look forward and say, okay, how can I grow from this? How can I grow in this moment? How can I grow from this moment? Not how do I look back and determine how do I prevent myself from getting back into this again? It's more of wrong end of the telescope, right? Instead of looking forward. That's why Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me, pressing forward towards the mark. We are conditioned to avoid pain. We're conditioned to avoid avoid, uh, difficulty. We're conditioned to to, uh, resist Anything that challenges us in our life. And if we have those moments, you know, if, if, if I, uh, uh, I'll just use this kind of silly. I don't have anything around me to, to do this with. But if I'm pinching myself today and it hurts, oh, it's an obvious thing. How do I stop the pain? Just stop pinching myself, right? Because my brain tells me, hello, if you pinch yourself, it's going to hurt. So don't do that. And anything that causes difficulty, anything that causes pain, anything that causes uh, struggle in our life, we want to avoid. The problem with this is God doesn't sign up for that. That's the biggest struggle we have sometimes with God. He didn't get the memo that our life is supposed to be absent of struggle, of pain, of problems, of difficulty. And so we have this continued frustration with God because we're trying to avoid things and God's taking his head into it. We're trying to run away from the storm and God is telling us to go into the storm. Wait a minute, God. Can you not see that there's rain and wind and stuff there? I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. That's why when you run things based off your intellect or based off what you think is best for you, you're going to always pick what you feel like is going to bring you the most pleasure, the most profit, right? 
when you're choosing your spouse or when you're choosing your job or where to live, you're going to base it off what you can see is the best for your pleasure and your, your, your own personal comfort. God may not be on the same page with you. You know, obviously God wants me to have a job that I love. God wants me to have a job where I make all the money I need. That's what God wants. Maybe God doesn't want that for you. Maybe God wants to put you in a job you hate. And God wants to put you in a job that you barely have enough money to pay your bills because he's going to use those things to cause you to grow. But you don't see that. You want to go over here because it's got the most money and everybody on the job is awesome and you enjoy it. So you go over there, but your spiritual man dies and your carnal man lives. Over here, your carnal man's going to have to put up with some stuff, but your spiritual man's going to thrive. Why? Because God is not looking at things the way you look at them. Because God is going through Kiros moments. We're trying to avoid these things. We don't want these Kiros moments. We'll take the good ones, right? We like the good ones. We like the positive stuff. Give me a promotion, got a blessing, got a raise. We love those. But the negative ones, we don't like those. But here's the thing. Kiros moments are not neutral. They leave an impression on us. Anything, any event, any circumstance, any situation that, li- that, that leaves an impression on us is a Kiros moment. And therefore, God can use any of those Kiros moments in our life to cause us to grow. So what do we do? There's two key words here in the passage we used in Mark sort of to define this whole process and that is the word repent and believe now notice again the greek we talked about this uh several months ago that there is a hebrew understanding a hebraic understanding of repent but we're going to look at the greek definition here for a moment of repentance and in this idea the greek word here used is the uh meta i don't know how if i'm pronouncing it correctly it's metatoni m-e-t-a-n-o-i-a your guess is as good as mine i'm going to say metatoni but it could be something else. Uh, it's all Greek to me. But it ultimately means to change one's mind. It's to change your mind. As a man thinketh, so shall he be, right? But more than this, it means a change of mind that will show up in a lifestyle or behavior change. There's the key. We often look at this idea of repentance. We're going to get a little deeper into it in just a minute. We look at repentance speaking more of simply a change of mind. But the fruit of the mind change is there should be a lifestyle and behavior change that accompanies the change of mind. You're not truly repentant until there is fruit that comes from that. I'm going to let that marinate for just a moment with you. Because that's a key point we have to realize. The key point we got to realize is that if I'm changing my mind or allowing God to uh, reflect and change my mind, there should be a change in lifestyle or change of behavior that goes with that. What does that mean? It means simply this. It means that walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ means constantly growing and changing inwardly as we take on the character of Christ. It's a process. And here's the thing. I want you, if you haven't heard anything up to this point, I want you to hear this loud and clear. This is a huge, write this down, put it in your phone, just literally let it be embedded into your mind when we're done here. And that is this, change is not 
an option. Change is not an option. Now, if we were doing this live in a, in, and you were there sitting, I would make you repeat that. Everybody say it with me. Change is not an option. So maybe, I know this is a little cheesy, but maybe you can say that out loud where you're sitting and maybe turn to the person you're sitting next to and tell them, say that. Change is not an option. Change is a vital, vital part of the life of following Jesus. If you are not into changing, you're not going to enjoy the process of being a disciple. Because Jesus is always working to change us. He changes us inwardly and it's reflected on our outward man in our lifestyle and behavior. You're not truly changing until it can it's reflected both inwardly and outwardly. So this is big. Usually kiros is an event word, meaning it has a beginning and an end, right? We know sort of when it started and we know when it ended. The process, the, the, the length of it can vary from a day, a couple hours, or months, or maybe some of the Kiros moments of your life extended beyond that. But it represents a beginning and an end. But, but repentance, and then the other word in this, believe, both represent a process. So we have an event that's leading us to a process. That's ultimately causing change that's resulting in growth. Following me for a moment? Let's go through it again. We have an event that has a beginning and an end, but leads us in a process that in the end causes us to change and is reflected in us becoming more like Jesus Christ in our discipleship process. Again, we're going to get to why this is important just in a moment. So here we go. So the Kiros moment takes place in my life. And what happens? What do I do from that? Where do I go? Okay, the Kiros moment takes place. Usually my first reaction is to go back, like I said, and sort of figure out what I did wrong, how I can avoid doing it again. But that's not the way Jesus broke it down to us. In fact, he gave us sort of this formula, and that is when you get to a Kiros moment, here's a little fella again, he's walking along, and he hits a Kiros moment. You're now going to enter into this, this growth cycle. If you go back through scripture, we'll get to this in just a second. I wish I had time today. One day I'm going to get to really teach it. God is a God of cycle. He's cyclical. You see it. In the Old Testament, you had the feasts, seven feasts. You had uh, uh, four in the spring, three in the fall. There was a cycle that was through. It was agricultural. It was spiritual. It was growth, all this stuff. And this cycle of growth. God is a God of cycles. And so we see this here, that you have a Kiros moment, and God is opening up the opportunity. Remember, we said, you, you, you're, your little fella can keep walking past it. You can miss the opportunity. You can ignore it. You can just say, you know what? I'm blocking everybody out. I'm shutting down. I don't care. I'm just going to endure. But you're missing an opportunity here. Because Kiros moments are doors. Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks. These Kiros moments represent opportunities or doors. Are you going to step in and say, okay, God, what are you going to show me? What are you teaching me in this moment? Sometimes Kiros moments are things that we cause, others cause, or circumstances cause. It's a multiplicity of things. But these represent opportunities. And Jesus said in these moments, two things, repent and believe. So a Kiros moment comes and you have to repent. We're going to talk about the three steps here. And again, this is not going to be able to be as detailed as I choose to be because of time. 
later on, we're going to be able to get back into this and get a little more in depth into all of this. But ultimately, there's three sort of basic steps in repentance, observation, reflection, and discussion. Observation, reflection, and discussion. What is it? What do we mean by that? We mean simply this. When we come to a place of repentance, we come to a curious moment. We come to this opportunity of change. We have to change by observing where we are. You can't really determine where you're going if you haven't first determined where you are. And usually Kiros moments reveal where we are. That's why I said for I said it numerous times during COVID. COVID was a Kiros moment, but COVID did not cause anything. It simply revealed where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Some struggled, some thrived, but the Kiros moment of COVID, March 2020, when everything got shut down and we were in this whole uncharted territory, we stepped into this Kiros moment. In order for us to take that, and some of you took COVID and you grew and others struggled. Why did you grow? Well, you may not even realize what you were doing, but you grew because the first thing you realize is, where am I? Wow, I didn't know that was in me. Wow, I really didn't know that was in me. Because COVID sort of reveals Kiros moments, especially negative ones, especially ones that are accompanied with high stress. These Kiros moments really reveal into us what's really going on, on the inside and causes us to go, okay, all right, what's really going on? Where am I? And when we observe where we are, and usually we know that by our reactions, our emotions, our thoughts, these are also sort of key indicators of where we are. They start to show us, okay, here's where we are. And then we move into... Reflection. Once we've observed our condition, once we've been once we've been uh, 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 alerted to where we are, we move into reflection. Reflection on what? Reflection on where we're at. We start to ask the question: Why did I react that way? Why did I do it that way? Why did I say that? Why did that come from? Right? Why do I feel the way I feel? This is a reflection on observations, right? You start to spew stuff out of your mouth in a moment of a Kiros high intensity, high stress, Kiros moment, a difficulty, bad news. You lost your job. All of a sudden, you just spew things. You get mad and all of a sudden, all this stuff comes out and you go, whoa, wait a minute. Where am I? What, where, what is this? And then you move into reflection and reflection begins to go, wait a minute. Why did I do that? We start to ask questions about ourselves. We start to ask questions about maybe sometimes we start to question, do I really believe what I believe? These questions can reflect many different things. Sometimes curious moments can become based, can produce a crisis of faith. And we observe, where am I? Do I even believe what I'm believing? And we start to ask these reflective questions, which eventually leads to discussion. Discussion what? For repentance truly to take hold, we've got to talk. First of all, talk to Jesus because he was the one that brought us into this process. We've got to talk with him. There's got to be discussion. Now we get into this later. This is not really something we can get in time. But James says in James 5, 16, I believe it is. He says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Wait a minute. 
I'm not going to be over around telling my everybody what's going on in my life. I'm not going to. They're going to use that against me. He's not telling people to tell. He's not saying go tell your dirty secrets to everybody. But he's saying this. When you've got an observation and you've got a reflection, sometimes you got to go to somebody and say, listen, man, would you pray with me? Would you help me? That's confessing my faults to a brother or sister. Why? Because repentance is necessary if we're going to grow as disciples. Change is not optional and repentance is necessary. And what does repentance ultimately mean? Repentance means to change my mind. There's going to have to be change. But it's not always easy. Because facing our failings, facing our pain, facing our fears, whatever you want to put in there, is something we want to put off. It's like a trip to the dentist. It's something we know we need to do, but my God, we wait to absolutely the worst, absolute pain where we have to figure it out because ultimately we don't want it. But as we step into this Kiros moment and we, uh, we, we, we embrace this, we're not only opening up the ugliness of our lives, but we're truly becoming authentic in our relationship with God. This is huge. This is huge. Because ultimately, when we look at this picture, it really shows the picture of Jesus Christ. Because in order to do this, there's got to be a humility. There's got to be a humbling. There's got to be a, a bringing myself. The Bible says, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves, pray and seek my face. But here's the Next part of that, this. Okay, we've done this. We've, 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 we've moved into this repentance. But now what? How do I get through the cycle of a Kiros moment? How do I cause this Kiros moment to produce true lasting change? Because once I've got into repentance, now what? That moves us into the second part Jesus said. Repent and believe. We know, right? The writer of Hebrews Describe faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But here it is. Faith is not simply a nice belief. Faith cannot be seen. But faith that cannot, you faith isn't something you cannot see. But if you can't see faith, do you have faith? I run that back to you. Faith cannot be seen because we see things that are not there. But faith that can't be seen is that faith because James said faith without works is dead. Right? So there's action that happens because of our faith that takes the unseen and makes it seen. This is huge because it's going to put us into this because some people spell faith risk, right? R-I-S-K. But ultimately, if you're acting in faith, you know, taking your faith, it's like, it's a risk. It's stepping out with God. But really, if you're acting in faith, there's no risk in doing God's will. Zero. There's great risk in ignoring God and doing what you want to do. That's risk. And if your faith is today in what you want and how you want it, yeah, there's risk in that because good luck. But if you're in faith, in connection with God's will, there is no risk. There's no risk. 
So just like there were sort of three parts to the, uh, for lack of a better term, three parts to repentance, we're going to look at, just for a moment here, the three parts that go with faith, that complete the circle. Because once we get into this Kiros moment, we got an observation, we go to reflection, we go to discussion, then we go to plan, account, and act. What do I mean by this? That means we come up with a plan? No. But God never points something out in our life without giving us a path forward on how to change it. True repentance, true conviction, true illumination always is accompanied by a plan of action of what to do. Condemnation points out the wrong but gives no remedy to fix it. And therefore, it leaves us hopeless. Conviction points out the wrong, causes us to enter into this cycle of repentance, but never leaves us hopeless. It always says, here's how you can change it. So it creates this plan. And once that plan happens, then it produces an accountability in us. Because the Bible says that faith begins in our mind. Uh, it, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It, it, God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through his rhema. God speaks in our life. It's okay. Here's the thing. You've repented. You've come to the end of yourself. Now, here's what you're going to do. He either shows that through his word. He brings us someone who speaks into our life. Or he even speaks personally to us. This causes us to have a plan. What's next? Bible says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. The speaking of that causes us to be accountable for it. Bible says, as a man as a man thinketh, so shall he be. But we know when we speak that into existence, it's putting accountability on that. And finally, James says that through that accountability, there should be produced an action. What does that do? Ultimately, that brings us full circle through the curious moment. You see, okay, this is great, Pastor Joel, but really, ultimately, is this just theory or is there something really behind it? What did Jesus have to say? Well, let's take a moment here before we finish and let's look at it because Jesus actually used Kiros several places and this whole cycle in several instances. First of all, let's look at the one uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus and his followers are just wrapping up this long day. He goes up on this hillside and teaches uh, what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so in this day-long teaching, Jesus sort of outlines this radical lifestyle that he calls his followers, his disciples to adopt. He talks about such things as uh, uh, murderers. He talks about adultery, divorce, lying, uh, revenge, loving your enemy, uh, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, the love of money. And when people are l listening to this, this is producing a kiros moment in them. This is a defining moment. And sometimes you know it's a kiros moment because it starts, kiros moments oftentimes are, are accompanied with anxiety, worry. And this must have been taking place because Jesus starts to address this. And he says, don't worry about your life. This is Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. If not life, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? 
So we acknowledge there's an event taking place. There's a Kiros moment. The sermon is producing a Kiros moment in their life. But instead of reacting in faith, they're reacting in fear and anxiety and stress. And so he starts to address this. And how does he address it? He says the next verse, right? He points this out. But then the next verse he goes, look at the birds in the air. This is verse 26. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. So he reveals to them in verse 25 that you're experiencing a Kiros moment. And then he leads them in this cycle. He starts with observation. Look around you, he says. Observe the birds in the air. They don't sow or they don't reap. They don't store food away in barns. But your heavenly father feeds them. There's this moment of observation. This is a moment of where he's going to take them through the cycle of growth. That when they leave after the Sermon on the Mount, they're not just going to leave with this overwhelming uh, sense of, oh my, dread. Here, I, here's a whole list. I can't murder. I can't have adultery. I can't divorce. I can't lie. can't have revenge. I got to love everybody. I can't love money. I got to pray. I got to fast. Oh, I can't do all of this. It's too hard. He's starting to feel the, the pressure build up. And he says, okay, let me show you something. This is a curious moment. Here's how you get through it. Here's how you learn to grow. Start with observation. Look around you. Look, look at the birds in the air. But then from that, watch what he does. He says, in the end of verse 26, he asks this reflection question. He says, are you not much more valuable than they are? Again, we understand this is sort of this rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Birds are value, but you're more valuable. See, he's helping them put things in perspective. He's understanding how to, to see this here. Because this is ultimately leading to discussion, conversation. Because in verse 28, he says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Now, here's this. There's no discussion or no... no um, no uh, um, um, record of a discussion that takes place here, but this question that Jesus is asking them that's engaging them really is causing internal discussion to happen in them. Because ultimately he's saying, you're trying to change things you don't even need to worry about. He's really saying, Jesus is really saying that the person who worries is the one who needs changing. And he's asking these questions. You're worrying about things you can't change and you're not looking at the things that can change. And that's you. But then verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. He's saying, this is the vision, the plan that you're going to be able to overcome these moments in your life. How do we do this? How does this happen? See, he tells them what's going on. He asks them to look around. He starts to change their, their point of view. But then also, he leads them, ultimately, to showing them, here's how you begin to change. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He's saying, make this about me. 
Start with, I'm giving you the remedy here. If you don't want to have worry, if you want to have fear, if you don't want to have doubt, if you want to have all these things, stop for a moment. Look around you. Who takes care of all these birds? Do you? No, I do. I do. And are you not more valuable than birds? And all of a sudden they're looking at each other going, man, wow, he's got a point there. Man, I'm worrying about things that is no big deal for God. And the things I should be worrying about, about my own personal emotions and things that he's trying to change, I don't even think about because I'm so worried about the things I can't change. And he says, here's the part. Stop. Seek ye first the kingdom. Finish the cycle. Finish the cycle. Don't just go halfway. Don't just stop. Here's how you finish this cycle of growth. Because he ends this whole sermon. I'm out talking about the guys that have built their houses, one on sand, one on the rock. Because we often place our emphasis on building our own houses, our lives, and Jesus as the rock. But what Jesus is truly emphasizing is hearing and taking action. Remember, it wasn't a story about the poor construction of two houses. The whole point of the story as Jesus defined it. The difference between the wise and the foolish builder is the wise man heard the words and did it. The foolish man only heard the words but didn't do anything about it. He missed the Kiros moment. Look at this for a moment before we finish. The cross was a Kiros moment. Because look, it says... Romans 5, verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time, in the time, in the Kiros moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man some will die, but yet perhaps for a good man someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But here's the other one that's even worse and more scary. is Luke chapter 19, verse 41. It says, Now as he drew near... He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, these things that make you for you your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surrounding you, close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, that they will not leave you and leave in you one stone upon another, because you had not known the time of your visitation. They didn't understand. They didn't see there was a Kiros moment. They missed an opportunity for a Kiros moment in their life. They ignored it. He's saying, you didn't see it. He wept over the city. They didn't see it. They didn't let me go through the cycle and change them. They missed it. They kept walking. They didn't see it. They were looking at the Kronos, but they missed the Kiros because they were so busy about what's next. Where am I going next? What's the next thing on the agenda? They missed me. And the next verse, the next verse, Jesus goes into the temple and begins to cleanse them and drives out the money changers and says, my house should be a house of prayer and you made it a den of thieves. That was right after he said, you missed a Kiros moment. And here's what happens when you miss a Kiros moment. You start getting into making things that I think are sacred and important. You make them into a religion because you miss it out. So what does all this mean for you and I as disciples? Simply means this, and you've heard this before, but really in reality, uh, I'll use this here for a moment. I think this will work. Forgive me here. Using props as I have them. 
this is how we really see our life. It's, of course, I'd use a white, white when everything around me is white. I'll put it there so it is against my shirt. This is how we see our life, straight-lined. And we don't want anything to keep our progress in our life. But in reality, God looks at us more in this way. You see, if we really looked at Kiros like we were before, here we are. And every time, a curious moment, we get into the cycle of growth. Cycle of growth. Cycle of growth. But you see, if you took that same picture that represents those cycles and you put them on top, what do you get? You get a slinky, right? Here we are. We start at the very beginning. This is the set moment of salvation. This is the start. And it appears as if we're going around and around and around and around and never making progress. But in reality, we're actually growing. We're moving through each level. And I actually kind of like this slinky. This is a dollar store slinky. And it was actually kind of, I was looking for the old classic silver one. But I actually was actually happy they only had this one. Because each one of these beautiful colors represents a stage in my life. Maybe, let's say for today, these colors represent a Kiros moment. So you start off and look at the very bottom. It's very light. It's only a little, a few little shades of this pinkish color. And then you get in another Kiros moment of orange. And then this Kiros moment of yellow. And then apparently this was a pretty traumatic period of time. This was a Kiros moment that was pretty lengthy, this green. Which led into another Kiros moment of this sort of purple which then led back into another curious moment of, see that? That's why avoiding things in God doesn't really get you far because there's always things that's going to be happening in your life. You can't avoid life. You can't avoid curious moments. They're going to happen. But you see, when you let God take them, really, when you begin to pull them apart in your life and see, you realize, wow, look at the growth that's happening. Yeah, when you look at it, like when I look back at my life like this, I just see a bunch of moments on top of each other. Whoops. Time out for a second. It's a bunch of moments that just kind of blend in together. And most of the moments I remember the most are the negative ones. But if I can let God show me that really they weren't just moments, they were growth. I was growing. Look, I was actually changing and growing in every step. That's how I got through the Kiros moments. That's how I got through this moment from this color to this color. It wasn't because it just passed and I got through it. It's because in that there was growth happening. There was growth. So here's the problem, and here's the final punchline to all this. And it's ultimately this. We want God to run our lives like this. And ultimately, we want to avoid anything that keeps that arrow from moving forward. But in reality, God is running our life more like this. Moment upon moment, kiros upon kiros. God looks at our life a lot more like a slinky than he does a line. Why is this important for us if we're going to be disciples? Because if we're going to be disciples, we have to recognize that kiros moments are things that should be embraced, whether they're positive or negative. And we don't want to miss the time of our visitation. If we miss these moments... Some of them are ugly. They're painful. Junk comes out in us that we're like, oh, where is this coming from? But it's an opportunity. God speaking. 
What do we do about it? We enter into a repentant cycle. We let God change the way we think. Not be conformed by this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable of God. Romans 12, 2, right? That's what we've been talking about here in Antioch West for the last couple of years. That's what happens when you get into a curious moment. You let God begin to change you, transform you. That ultimately is the plan, account, and action. And then when you get to that, it's another level you're in. And then you're going to go and get another level and another color, another color. But the whole time you're growing. Whole time that there's growth happening. Whole time there's growth. Sometimes if you go around in a circle, you get dizzy. It feels confusing. It feels like, oh my God, I'm just going around in a circle. But you're not going around in a circle. You're actually growing. So that's why I said earlier, you need to like, you need to start understanding God's looking like this. Not like this. So when you pray, asking God to change your circumstance and he doesn't, it's because God is seeing this in your life. That's what he's seeing. That's why he's not changing your circumstances because he's trying to use your circumstance as a place and a process to cause you to grow. And when you start to embrace that, that change is not optional. If I'm going to be a disciple, change is a part of the package. Then ultimately, I start to see the way God sees things. And I stop. That's why Paul says, I take pleasure. I take pleasure in my trials and circumstances. Are you kidding me? Take pleasure? Are you serious? Yeah. Because every pain and problem, situation, difficulty is an opportunity for me to grow in Christ. That's the opportunity. We're going to come back later on and we'll, we'll get to dig into this a little more today. I had to skip through some stuff. It was a little longer than I thought it was going to be. And even that, I skipped through a lot of, of this because ultimately this is so big for us to understand so that we can get on the same, we can get in step and in rhythm with Jesus Christ in our life, that we can continue to grow as disciples and reflect who he is because that's ultimately the most important thing. Father, I know you're speaking today. I know you're trying to get us to see how you see things. Your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. You've already told us that. So I pray today, Lord, by your grace that we would understand and see how you see these things. So many of us are dealing with curious moments right now. We're struggling because we don't know why you're not changing the moment. But ultimately, these are the greatest moments of our life because these are the moments that can cause us to have change, to reflect who you are. So Lord, we receive your grace today. Show us the path of righteousness. Lead us through a place of change. Illuminate the things in our life that need to change and lead us into a plan of action through your grace to change them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we speak, Father, today. We receive your grace today. Lord, as we embrace the journey of discipleship that you have us on, that we can become more like you in everything we do. In Jesus' name.